Welcome to Montrose Bible Church. We're so glad you've chosen to join us as Pastor Matt and other church leaders challenge us with a message from God's Word. Well, good morning. It's great to see you all here this morning as we continue to celebrate this Advent season. My name is Jim Fluck, and I have the privilege of bringing the message here this morning. Two weeks ago, uh, we heard Ryan Kramer kick off our Advent series in Philippians. And the focus was on chapter 2, verse 5 of Philippians, which reads, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. The attitude spoken of here is an attitude of humility and in looking out for the interest of others above our own. This attitude is seen in Jesus as he taught his disciples. And we are to share in the attitude of Christ by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit and intent on one purpose. Last week, Joe Plants focused on verses 6 and 7, which reads, Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard, regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. We struggle with this in that we try to understand how such things are possible. How can Jesus be both God and man? And how can God forfeit the use of his godly characteristics? Well, we would like to be able to explain these things, how they happen. We simply can't. And we must accept these truths by faith, realizing that understanding such things is simply beyond us. But accepting them as truth is well within our grasp. So today we will move on and we will start in verse 8 in light of the verses that we've already studied. So let's begin by reading from Philippians 2, and we'll read from 5 to 11. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your mercy and and grace that are demonstrated in the life and death of Jesus. Lord, we pray that we too might exalt you through our actions as we endeavor to be more Christ-like. Lord, challenge us today to see the gift of this sacrifice as an invitation to look at our lives and our heart and make the effort to become closer to you. Lord, we thank you for your word that we might study, learn, and apply it. 
We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's look at Philippians 2 and look at verse 8 once again. So it goes like this. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So here we see the word found. Now, this is the Greek word hurisko, which means to see, to learn, to discover, or to understand. In prior verses, last week, we discussed the word form, which is quite different than the word appearance. This word appearance deals only with what one perceives of someone else, not necessarily the makeup of that person. As we learned last week, form means. So it's important to understand that Jesus was seen as a man, as a man by almost everyone. Despite all the scripture that pointed to him as Messiah, the world did not recognize him for what he truly was. This is crucial to the plan of the father for his son. Had the world found him to be sent from heaven, Jesus would have been glorified instead of crucified. It is his appearance as one of us that allows Jesus to accomplish the father's will. The word appearance as it's used here, is even a little bit more complicated than just the idea of a visual image of someone, but also can imply an understanding of someone. In this case, Jesus. People who may have never seen Jesus might still have understood that this was a man based on the many facts that surrounded his life. So how did this appearance as a man come about? Well, it begins at birth. The birth of Christ to a woman appeared to be just like us, like all other men. Even though this birth we know was different. Mary was a virgin and the conception was a miracle. The world only saw a baby boy. What God would come to earth as a baby? Let's remember that Jesus had to remain sinless while undergoing all of the same temptations that we undergo. But more than that, his birth is different than ours in that there was no human father involved. The birth then produced a sinless baby. While we were born with sin nature and guilty from the get-go, Jesus began with a clean slate that remained that way to his death. Jesus remained sinless despite being tempted by Satan. And he also avoided succumbing to all of the temptations that we so quickly fall into. Not only did Jesus appear as a man, but he had to humble himself. Let's look at verse 8 again. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The Greek word for humbled here is tapainoo. It means to make low, to bring low, or to assign a lower rank or place to. So, in addition to being born in appearance as a man, Jesus was born into very humble circumstances. 
one might think that being born an earthly king, or at least into a wealthy family, would have been more appropriate, and his influence would have been instantaneous. His impact would have been broadened. And being born an earthly king still would have been humbling for God. And perhaps Mary, when she was informed of the angel, by the angel, about her part in the life of Jesus, thought she was giving birth to a person who would be an earthly king. Look at Luke chapter 1, verses 31 to 35. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus, and he will be great. And will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the most high will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy child will be called the son of God. So I don't know about you, but after this conversation with an angel, isn't it quite possible that Mary expected this rise of fame and authority as Jesus grew to be a man? As we now know, the kingdom that the angel speaks of was not to come during his lifetime. Little did Mary know that this throne that the angel spoke of would come at such a cost and that his kingship would require humility and death. Therefore, Jesus is not only born with the appearance of man, but would even bring himself lower. He was born into an obscure and an oppressed place. He was born into poverty, not wealth, and among people who were despised by many others. He humbled himself by being born a child, now think about that. Jesus had to learn to follow the rules of a household. He had to learn and practice a trade. And he would eventually submit to death on a cross and endure the spiritual agony of being separated from his father. Now, in addition to being humble, Jesus also had to be obedient. To his heavenly father. Look back at verse 8. Being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself. By becoming obedient. To the point of death. Even death on a cross. The act of obedience. Actually appears to be the way that Jesus humbled himself. This word obedient in the Greek. Is hupekaos. And it means to listen to or become submissive or obedient. Jesus came to earth under submission or in obedience to God the Father. His coming to earth, his sinless life, and his death were all part of God's plans. Many times we see only the submission to death on a cross. And while that may be the most difficult part of this submission that Jesus had to undergo, the birth and life of Jesus are also seen as being obedient 
to his father's will. This is important for a few reasons. Probably the most obvious is that the life of Jesus is a model for all of us. As we wind our way on this path that is our life, we too are to be submissive to the Father's will. You'll notice that this sometimes caused friction with the religious leaders of the day and Jesus. Jesus accuses the leaders of having hardened hearts or hearts that are not in the right place or with God. And these leaders, while sometimes doing the things that they were supposed to be doing, were told they were doing them for the wrong reason. So they weren't really following the will of God because their hearts weren't in the right place. And Jesus called them on that. Basically, failing to understand what Jesus was teaching. Now, this submission that seems to be required of us then is an obedience that comes from a heart that's filled with the Spirit and in obedience to God's will. For the Jewish people of the day, this would have seemed very liberating. I mean, the fact that God would reveal his will to them. Remember, to this point, they were submissive to God's will only through what turned out to be very corrupt leaders of the day. The apostles' teaching of the truths that were revealed by Jesus to them now became the primary source of understanding God's will. Today, God's word, the Bible, stands in authority on its own as our primary source of what God wants us to do and what God expects us to do. The verse goes on to explain how deep this obedience was for Jesus. In verse 8, it says, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We first read that Jesus was obedient to the point of death, but that is really only part of that whole story, too. There were many events leading up to the crucifixion. In all of these events, Jesus had to remain committed to doing the Father's will. Good starting place is the prayer of Jesus in the garden. Look at Luke 22, verses 41 and 42. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Many times, Jesus prayed with his apostles, but this prayer was special. Jesus knew that God's will was for him to go to the cross and to take of the cup of suffering. Now, how did he go there? It's written in Psalm 40, verses 7 and 8, and these words are credited to Jesus in Hebrews 10, 5 to 7. Then I said, this is Jesus, behold, I have come. It is written with me of me in the scroll of the book. I delight to do your will, my God. Your law is in my heart. So in this prayer that Jesus prays in the garden, we see the dual nature of Jesus. As a man, he requests to have the cup taken away. 
the dread of the innocent suffering was a weight that a man could not avoid. As the son of God, he delighted in doing the will of God. Following this prayer, he's betrayed by one of his apostles. Judas comes on the scene. And uh, Luke 22, verse 47. While he was still speaking, behold, a crowd came. And the one called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading the way for them. And he approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those who were around him saw what was going on, was going to happen, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus responded and said, stop, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. And Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come against him, have you come out with swords and clubs as you would against a man inciting a revolt? While I was with you daily in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this hour, but this hour and the power of darkness are yours. To be betrayed by a kiss, no less. By one of your own disciples. And once again, here Jesus submits to the will of God. Allowing himself to be arrested while innocent. Even stopping anybody from defending him. In any way. The physical torture of Jesus begins at the hands of the guards holding him, and still he submitted. In Luke 22, verse 63. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him and beating him. And they blindfolded him and were asking him, saying, Prophecy. Who is the one who hit you? And they were saying many other things against him and blaspheming. Appearing before the Sanhedrin, Jesus claims his deity to them. Maybe giving them a last chance to see who he really was. They didn't. And this statement was all they needed to charge him with blasphemy. And they took him to Pilate. Once again, completely submitting to God's will. The entire time that Jesus spent before Pilate, then Herod, and finally Pilate for the second time, he was in submission to authorities that had only the authority that God had given them. And they had no inkling of the truth that he was speaking to them, but also could not find any wrongdoing on his part. Pilate finally concedes to the will of the crowd and has Jesus crucified. Many of the events leading up to the crucifixion were prophesied of and the Jewish crowd maybe should have known what was going on, but they didn't. Now, crucifixion is a horrible punishment. It was reserved for the lowly criminal. It was not even used on a Roman citizen. And as we read in Deuteronomy, the tree or wooden cross was a place for the accursed of God. Look at Deuteronomy 21, 22, and 23. If a man has committed a sin worthy of death and is put to death and you hang him on a tree, his corpse 
shall not hang all night on the tree, but you shall surely bury him on the same day. For he who is hanged is accursed of God, so that you do not defile your land, which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. And this is repeated in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So Jesus even submitted to a form of death that was reserved for the cursed. While a few of the guards and the thief on the cross somehow recognized his deity. The crowds that had him crucified and the religious leaders either missed it or ignored it. Adam Clark writes about the crucifixion in this way. What must sin have been in the sight of God when it required such abasement in Jesus Christ to make an atonement for it and undo its influence and malignity? And Charles Spurgeon writes this. The lower he stoops to save us, the higher we ought to lift him in our adoring reverence. Blessed be his name. He stoops and stoops and stoops. And when he reaches our level and becomes a man, he still stoops and stoops and stoops lower and deeper yet. Because Jesus humbled himself and because he became obedient to God's will, we can, through him, have an eternal life with God. The cost was his life. And therefore, it is what is required of us. We are to surrender our life to Jesus and submit to God's authority as we apply God's word to our lives. Jesus' humbleness and his obedience is going to lead to his exaltation by the Father and the seat on the throne that the angel promised Mary would happen. Christmas season is about what we were given in the form of a baby born into humble circumstances in the town of Bethlehem many years ago. The gift is not a present we open. It's not a material thing. It's something much greater. And it is a thing that requires us to rejoice as the angels rejoice that night. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. So how can we respond? How about with awe, praising his glorious name? How about with tears of joy that God can exhibit such grace and mercy? How about if we not only praise him with our songs, but what about our deeds? Why don't we exude the fruits of the spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Our, our life needs to look like his life because he gave his up for us. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus this season, may we take on the attributes of humility and obedience. May we offer up our life to you 
that you might use us to serve you and further your kingdom here on earth. Lord, give us the ability to delight in doing your will. Let our lives bear the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness that we can serve you here in this place. Thank you for the amazing gift of your son. May his life be seen in us. Amen. Thank you for joining us. I trust you've been blessed by the study of God's Word. For more information about Montrose Bible Church, visit our website, montrosebiblechurch.org.